And now reading from 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, reading through verse 21. <clears throat> Dear friends, let's love each other because love is from God, and everyone who loves is born from God and knows God. The person who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. This is love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. If we love each other, God remains in us, and his love is made perfect in us. This is how we know we remain in him, and he remains in us, because he has given us a measure of his Spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has set the Son to be the Savior of the world. If any of us confess that Jesus is God's Son, God remains in us, and we remain in God. We have known and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who remain in love remain in God, and God remains in them. This is how love has been perfected in us, so that we can have confidence on the judgment day, because we are exactly the same as God is in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear, because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. We love because God first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates a brother or sister, he is a liar. Because the person who doesn't love a brother or sister who can be seen can't love God who can't be seen. This commandment we have from him. Those who claim to love God ought to love their brother and sister also. Here ends the reading. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Even though veterinary science will say that dogs don't grow longer or bigger after a certain age, some days I'm a little convinced that our three little dogs, all under 20 pounds, have defied that conclusion. They find their way onto the couch in the evenings when Cherie and I have plopped down in our usual places on our sectional sofa. Now, it's a big couch. Normally they vie for, for position in her lap, but more and more they'll move into my space as well. I swear, in the last year even, these three dogs must have doubled in size, judging by how little space there seems to be for the human beings who want to sit on our couch most evenings. So if we're reading John's little letter, 1 John, correctly, if love takes over our lives, spaces the same way that three little dogs can dominate a sofa, what are we to do with fear? Well, in verse 18, John minces no, no words on what God's love does to fear. The New Revised Standard Version, which I did not read, but an uh, interesting point, says that love casts out fear, a flinging that creates far more than a social distance of six feet between fear and love. The message, paraphrase, says that love banishes fear 
a fleeing followed by a blunt no trespassing sign. In our present reality, and especially in the pandemic, fear doesn't seem so easy to cast out or banish, no matter how loudly we sing. It always seems to creep back in and take up whatever little space on the sofa of our lives has left. Now, I can't help but wonder if the author of John's letter, let's call him Pastor John, is asking something different of us, calling us to be gentler, or perhaps more honest with ourselves. Or perhaps he's inviting us to bring those fears with us to the small space that unconditional love has left for us on the sofa. Perhaps he's inviting us to let the love of God, the same love we witness in the life and teachings of Jesus, do the tough work of casting out fear. But first, we have to be honest about those fears. We must name those fears, and then we must lean on love to help us cast them out. The COVID-19 pandemic brought so many underlying fears to the surface. The fear of the virus itself, the fear of dying and suffering, on a lighter note that is still a well-founded source of anxiety, the fear of an internet connection going out at a key moment of a business meeting on video call, the fear of the internet signal failing in the middle of uploading worship services and creating a glitch, the fear of losing connection with one another, the fear of losing members of our congregation because we have tried to do the right thing morally and ethically by listening to the doctors and scientists and not gathering in groups indoors. Though on a really positive note, as I pointed out earlier, the reports I heard this past week say vaccinated people can wear masks and gather for indoor worship services, which makes June the 6th a great target date as we have planned for resuming services in person and gives us a boost well, then there are other fears that not all of us have, but that are very, very real for others. Like black parents, fearing for the lives of their teenagers. They coach them what to do the best they can if they get pulled over by a police officer doing their best to get the message across that their very lives might depend on doing the right thing in that scenario. Other parents, well, they fear what will happen how people will treat their child who comes out as gay or lesbian or gender fluid. When their child goes to school, will they be bullied? Some of us are experiencing fears with our own health. Maybe we're getting to the age when our bodies require more attention and things just hurt more than they used to. Oh, is that chest pain a muscle I pulled or is it a heart problem we ask ourselves privately? Fear, no matter what stage of life or who we are, can be a very real and present source of anxiety and even danger in our lives. Fear is very much a part of our humanity. And as much as we don't like the way that fear feels, it lingers. Pastor John goes on to tell us that Fear surrounding our differences as human beings can fester into the dangerous territory of hatred. In verse 20, he writes, Those who say, I love God, 
and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. You know, it seems to me that the author, we'll call him Pastor John again, has experienced the fear and witnessed the hatred. And with a healthy mix of compassion, gentleness, and truth-telling, he names what's hindering the kingdom of God's love from being all he intended it to be. Not loving the human being standing right in front of us. Our closing commandment in today's portion of this little letter it likely sounds familiar. John translates Jesus' two greatest commandments into the language of a blossoming, growing church family. This new burgeoning community learning to live and work and function as the church takes the commands of Jesus and turns it from thou shalt love into this paraphrase of verse 20. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart, then you must love your brothers and sisters too, for there is no room for fear. As he said, no space for hatred when it comes to loving God and neighbor. In the midst of heightened calls for racial justice throughout 2020 and into 2021, calls that have been resounding for far longer than the past year or 14 months, we have witnessed some moments of reckoning. But there is still so much work to do. A spotlight on the long time lingering pandemic of racism sin in the U.S. has sparked some individuals, communities, even faith communities like ours, and institutions to ask long overdue questions. Are we a part of the hatred that declares love for God, but does not fully love our brother or sister because of their skin color? Do we treat one another in the church differently or with disdain because of socioeconomic status or gender expression or some part of our culture? From whom am I withholding love and why? These are the kinds of questions that love demands us to ask if we care. These are the questions that can fill the space left on the sofa of our lives with love. These are the questions some of us fear because they just might lead to resurrection. And a resurrection is beyond anything we can imagine or control. Now, of course, we often fear what we cannot control. I mean, resurrection takes over the whole sofa with a love that just might mean discomfort for us while love is taking up more space around us. Actually, as we begin to mature, we begin to realize that love has always been on the couch next to us. When it seems like it's growing and crowding us, rather than fighting it, as we mature, we need to find a way to live with it and even to nurture it. For love, my friends, is always here to stay. To stay is another way of saying love remains. Love meets us in the honesty of our fear and fills us when we cooperate with it and convinces us that there is no longer room for fear to remain. 
We are called to remain with the difficult and necessary questions. Even if the answers are long and slow and incomplete in their coming, we are called to stay on the sofa, if you will, so that love makes room for all of us to live into the fullness of love, which is resurrection together. Resurrection isn't just going back to the way things were before. That would be restoration. But resurrection, in the spiritual sense, is something entirely better than the way things have ever been. May we learn to be a people who remain for as long as it takes. And may whatever space we realize we have left next to us and the love we already know on the sofa, that is our lives, May that space be filled with our unconditional love for one another. Now that, well, that's easier said than done. But the love is actually found in the doing. Thanks be to God. Amen.